We are activating your unique self-discovery one show at a time. The Orchard of Wisdom Self-Discovery Podcast at your fingertips, just waiting to inspire and invite you in discovering just how awesome you really are and how to navigate through life in joy, enrichment, personal abundance, in mind, body, spirit, heart and soul. All the people we bring you are here to serve you on your journey of life. Do enjoy our next show. Morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of An Author's Kiss right here on selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest is Leon Conrad from the UK. He says, we've been telling stories for thousands of years now. What we learn about story and how it works that we don't already know. In his book, Story and Structure, Leon sheds new light on story, sounding new depths, diving deeper into the sea of a story that everyone uh, has never gone before. And he's here to tell the story of what he's discovered in those unexplored depths. Most importantly, what he uncovers is a pearl of great price from the depths of that sea of story that can help us shape the way we live our life more fluently and harmoniously. Leon was born in London to a UK to a Polish father and a Coptic Egyptian mother. He spent his formative years between the ages of six and 10 and 18 in Egypt, in, Egypt, in a multilingual environment among souks, bazaars, catacombs, markets, and the living tradition of oral storytelling straight out of the Arabian Nights. A traditional published author and storyteller, Leon has published extensively in journals, magazines, written theater stories, contributed to radio programs. He's an avid reader and a keen researcher who loves to find satisfactory answers to questions that we don't have the satisfactory answer to. He's a story structure consultant. Leon works with both fictional and non-fictional writers to help people's thoughts shine through brightly so they can communicate more clearly with their voice and presence. His book, Story and Structure, A Complete Guide, is what we're going to be talking about today, but also the art of a story. Uh, you know, storytelling is really important. If you're telling your story, if you're telling somebody else's story, it's rather like when you see somebody performing in a competition. Technically, they may be absolutely great, but did they touch your heart? Did they really capture that essence what you, that drew you in? And there's a lot of stories out there that are very titillating on the surface. But really what we want to know, as we do with us as human beings, where's the death? What lies beneath? Who are you really? Welcome to the show, Leon. Thank you very much, Sarah, and thank you for having me on the show my pleasure story and structure i mean that is that is i've just written my memoir so you know the structure of it i don't know it's i let it flow and it's going to be article form um but a lot of people are writing these days and churning out a lot of books etc and where is the depth in it where is the heart in it and i think why do we so? Why are we so attracted to stories? Is when it engages us, when it ignites our heart and our curiosity, and we're wanting to know more. And as the story goes, it reveals more. Is that your way of thinking? It is my way of thinking. But before we go into story and the depth of story, I think we should define what story is. Mm -hmm. And in my book, I. I'm very keen on definitions, because if you get the term right, then you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. 
And I distinguish between four levels to story. At the very fundamental one, and spell checkers hate this, I distinguish between story and differentiate it from a story or the story. Mm. Story is a phenomenon, a dynamic force, and that is where the depth is. It drives stories like the story of Cinderella, which can come in many forms, the story of your life. That's what story drives forward. Now, that gives rise to different narratives. You can tell the story of your life in many ways. And you can tell the same story to different audiences in different language. Each of those tellings is going to be a performance. Yes. Or a version of the story. So those are the four levels. You get a particular interpretation of a story, a performance you go and see at the theatre, one of many that's going to be in that run. Mm -hmm. It's a performance of a particular play or show. It's a telling or it's a reading, if you like, of your book, which is published. But it'll be engaged with, with one reader differently to yes. how another reader will engage with it. That is based on the story structure. And the story of your life is a series of events that you have lived chronologically. And that is the way that story unfolds in our lives. And how we make sense of those chronologically linked events is where story takes its structure. Mm -hmm. My mother was an actress and she loved the stage. Um, you know, she didn't really like radio or anything because it wasn't the audience. And she could do the same performance differently every time according to the vibration of the audience. And you pick up on the vibe and that's the, the story would shift to that energy. And if you ask people what they got out of it, this is why I think book clubs are great, because people will each have their own interpretation of what they got from the story. And then that becomes a story in, in itself as well. Absolutely. The story and story allow this space between to happen which is broad which is deep which is ineffable and that's where that depth is depth reminds me of truth truth is said to lie at the bottom of a bottomless well and story depends largely on truth even if we tell trickster tales even if we spin lies as part of the storytelling thing. Why we do that is because truth is important. Truth, goodness, and harmony coming together to support the oneness of being mm -hmm. is really where the depth of story can be found. The connection, isn't it? You know, it's and that, it comes alive. Yeah, exactly. It has a life of its own. You know, I interview an awful lot of authors and I say, now, 
did you have this character completely all mapped up from beginning to end or did this character evolve beyond your imagination and they always say beyond the imagination the character started going down avenues and doing things that they hadn't mapped out but it's where the character wanted to go so they allowed themselves to become that character rather than dictating what that character should be and this is what i mean by story being a dynamic Mm -hmm. force a dynamic creating force Mm. But my brother's an author, a published author for a long time, and uh, I love reading his books because just when you think you've got it, he takes you down another avenue. And, mm-hmm. you know, wh- where you think it's all about this. No, it's all about that. And the intrigue is there. You want the quote, a page turner, right? Yes. You want something that keeps you engaged. You want something that makes you think afterwards. I think the best kind of books are those that have you thinking about it afterwards thinking about the story, thinking about the character, and even kind of questioning, what would I do in that situation? Could I do that? Oh, that's a great idea. Maybe I could do that. And I think there's the engagement, isn't it? We don't want just close book onto the next. We want it to stay with you. We want it to become a part of you in some way. Absolutely. And that's as true for a work of fiction as it is mm-hmm. for a work of nonfiction. And what story and structure does is unpick how that process works at every stage of the journey. At every stage of the writing journey, uh, we depend on story structure. Now, story structure can be mapped very easily, but there are certain rules to it. And what I do is show that it can be much simpler than we have thought it to be in the past. And the rules I present are that you separate each character's storyline and you put the events in that character's storyline in order chronologically. And that includes your reader's storyline. That's where the process that the reader goes is mapped out and that will be dictating how you tell your story. But the story you tell will also have its structure and the patterns are the same, but you'll use them in different ways. And you suddenly have, using only six very simple symbols, a way of mapping the ebb and flow of story. And you can see where the contrast is, Mm -hmm. where the surprises come. And whenever there's a surprise, You need to make sure that you provide a balancing move that um, gives the satisfaction that the reader is waiting for. Wherever there's a huh, you need an ah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, you're leaving them hanging and they're they're not really kind of them paying attention to the next moment because you've left them hanging. So now this is very much so for fictional writing, but if people are writing, you know, um, a sense of a memoir, should they write it? I was born and then, uh, you know, I'm not yet dead. You know, should it be in in, uh, linear order or can one jump around? I have jump around into different time periods and what different time periods meant. Who says what you can or can't do in writing? Mm -hmm. There are people who are very uh, strict. There are people who are very relaxed. What I argue in the book, uh, Story and Structure, is that 
story has its own laws, its own logic. Mm -hmm. And as long as you work in harmony with those, then be creative, break the rules, but break the rules for a good reason. Right. The right. other thing to realize is that there are uh, not just four um, levels to story, but you need to distinguish between story structure, which is the patterns that story follow on this chronological level, and plot pattern, which mm -hmm. is how you tell the story, and that can be in any order chronologically. You can start in the middle in media res, you can go back, flashback, you can flash forward, and there are many ways of working narrative structure, but story structure happens chronologically. And then you can make sense of how these um, elements that you're using to make up the narrative fit together. Mm. We see this sometimes in movies where they, the next scene is a flashback, but they haven't told us that. And it's like, we've been, this come from this scene, but where, where the hell does this scene belong? And it can break up you know, the flow of being engaged with the story because you've flashed back, but you haven't told us it's a flashback. You haven't told us the time period. And we're trying to piece these things together and it becomes disjointed. And then when things become disjointed, people become disinterested. Mm -hmm. And there is a story structure for that. Right. <laughs> but we see it's many a time the... in a movie they don't do yeah. that. <laughs> I know. But for the viewer's journey, it's the 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 editor is setting up a dilemma mm. and they're not giving the audience the time to resolve that dilemma, make sense of it. Mm -hmm. So it remains as a, huh? Yes. You what now? Yeah. Which can only be resolved via conversation afterwards. Right. You say book clubs, are right. that's where you go out for dinner with your friends mm. after a film, you talk about it. What do you think of that? What do you think happened? Mm -hmm. And that's how you resolve it. This is how story resolves in our lives. Mm -hmm. And that structure is one of the ones we use in our everyday lives. Yes. What I show is that it is one of 18 different story structures, excluding comedy and tragedy. Mm -hmm. They're separate. 18 story structures we use to make sense of our lives and what happens in them. And we've not noticed this up no. to now. This no. is new stuff. Can you give us some of those 18? Well, the dilemma structure is one of them since you brought it up. It's risen naturally in conversation. It involves a character, let's mm. say a viewer, going on a journey because, let's say they go on a, a journey to the cinema because they want to be entertained. They sit down, they encounter the film. And as part of the film, they're getting grossed. They are taken on the journey with the story. They're flowing along the narrative lines and suddenly they hit something that they're puzzled by. <laughs> As a result, they take on the main force of the storytelling narrator and they have to resolve that imbalance <laughs> in order to move on with the story. And if they can't, then there's a break. It's a tragic dilemma story. Mm -hmm. What I do is map those separate elements using these six simple, simple symbols. The first is a symbol for the character that's like, um, what is it like? It's a right angle. 
symbols. Mm -hmm. These symbols are taken from the work of George Spencer Brown, who was my mentor. He was a wonderful person. I knew him in the last four years of his life. He wrote a classic called Laws of Form, which was an underestimated, undervalued, very little known cult classic in which he revealed the structure underlying both language, logic and mathematics using these six simple symbols. And I'm the first guy who's applied it comprehensively mm. to the study of story. So there's an academic background to it. But what I do is try to tell the story of how story works in a very readable way. Right. So you start with any character with this right angle symbol. You then experience a problem. And that is a backward pointing barb, like an arrow just with one um, thing, one angle down. Right. And through a combination of these backward and forward barbs, you get a pattern. It's like the ebb and flow of the tide. It's like the waning and the waxing of the moon. It's natural. It's like heartbeats. And you get to map the number and quality of the heartbeats. Does the story start with a backward step? Does it start with a forward step? That defines a different quality of how the story would unfold. So within a dilemma story, you get the character mark, you get a backward step, you get a forward step, you get a backward step where the um, audience is meeting the film for the first time, and then they're encountered with surprise. And the surprise is, I don't know whether I'm going forward, I don't know whether I'm going mm. backward. So you have the two barbs, mm. one on top of the other. And it's only resolved when they get to encounter the a resolution of that dilemma, and then that can be released, and they end up with another mark, a right angle mark, um, that takes them out of the story. Story is framed very importantly by the openings and closings. They are implied in our everyday life, but they are those moments that take us from one dimension of being to another. Right. That stepping through the door of the cinema into the the auditorium the lowering of the lights and the raising of the curtain in the theater that's stepping through the liminal boundary from one mode of being to another mm -hmm. and somebody pointed that out uh, out to me a, a friend who'd read the book he said oh i realize now why we read stories or tell stories to children before they go to sleep Stories can end, their stories can be paused, but it aids that transition into mm -hmm. that dream state. Yes, yes, and, and there are many stories that go on in our dreams. We may not always remember them, but yes, there's much going on there. Um, um, yeah, you've got me thinking, the brain is going now <laughs> in twirls. If what you stories have... are being told? <laughs> um, if you have, you know, do you have a symbol or anything for like when there's a tease, like something is mentioned and like more on that later, you know, and what would you call that? Yes, that would fit into uh, what I call the dynamic story structures. There are linear ones, the dilemma mm -hmm. structure is one of them, and then the dilemma ones, uh, sorry, the dynamic ones are more to do with how you feel, how you react to what's mm -hmm. happening. And they are very important. What you've just described, I could see 
panning out as what I call a revelation structure. And the revelation structure has three elements to it. And it can be mapped very simply onto the Latin saying, veni, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, I conquered. Mm -hmm. Let me unpack that. Yes. I came because I felt something needed to be sorted out. There was a rumor, there was a sense of doubt, a niggly feeling. And so I came in order to investigate. Then I saw, I was able to verify, to see things with my own eyes and say yes or no. But I haven't said anything yet. Mm -hmm. In the conquering phase, that's when I either put my plan that I've conceived in my mind into action, or I come out with a definitive statement that mm -hmm. says, this is how things are, or this is how things are not. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to move forward. Right. So in, in, in a sense, it's a little bit of an engagement. It's yeah. a, you know, engagement of, oh, okay, I want to know more of that. So I'm going to read on, but that, whatever that is, may not come up for a while until when it does go, ah, okay, where are we going now? There's a beautiful example in the uh, Jekyll and Hyde story where near the beginning, you see the lawyer going up to his safe and taking out the will to read. And that is a very factual description of it. Mm -hmm. How it's set up is that the lawyer usually on a Sunday night sits, has dinner and then goes to his study and reads some kind of devotional work. But tonight is different. He does have his dinner. And you see how this set of sense of doubt is being set up. What's going to happen? What's different? Tonight, he does have dinner and then he goes up into study, but he doesn't sit down to read his devotional work. He opens his safe, reaches into the deepest, most secret part of it, takes out an envelope on which is written a few words. He very carefully carries it to his seat, sits down, takes a document out of the envelope and starts reading the last will and testament of, I can't remember whether it's Dr. Jekyll or mm. Mr. Hyde, but can you see how that builds Anticipation. Up? Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes, what's in the will? <laughs> writers refer to it as show, don't tell. But what they don't do is give you that sense of rhythm that you need yes. in order to make the show and tell effective. I'd like to talk about that word rhythm. Um, I'm not a conventional writer. I'm an article writer. My brother is the, the, the novelist and he's very good at it. Um, and so I, you know, it was, do I force myself to try and write this in chapter form? And it was like, no, it is, it's not me. I wouldn't be able to do that. So it's been written in article form and pretty well, you could read any article on its own. Um, but some articles may allude to another article. Um, 
which is in there as well, which means that you would have to read the other articles to find out where it is. But I speak very much in flow and I write very much in flow. But when it comes to editing, I find that the editing thing wants to change the words, wants to change the structure, wants to change the rhythm. Is rhythm simply not allowed? <laughs> or is there a different process for, for rhythm? Because when it comes to editing, it's so utterly restricted and generic that it's not allowing for you to set the stage the way you want to set the stage. Talk me through your editing process, Sarah. Uh, well, I mean, I've just literally been using Grammarly and, and Word and yeah. going through each one of them, and they will come up with a word they want me to use instead of the three or four words I've used. But I feel the three or the four words are more descriptive of what I'm trying to write than the one word they want me to do, right? And, I can, and it comes up all the time, and it's like, am I being too flamboyant with my storytelling, or should I? narrow it down to those little words which for me kind of loses what I'm saying but is that really the code that one has to follow not if it's your voice this is a machine tool which is very useful yeah. to pinpoint areas that you could look at critically and that's all they do mm -hmm. they are not setting down the law they're just giving advice and their advice is to be taken with a grain of salt. Right. Ultimately, <laughs> you are the author, you make the choices, as long as they are informed choices, and you can justify your choices stylistically, grammatically, linguistically, rhythmically. Ultimately, then you own the work. Mm -hmm. And at, that, at the point where you say, no, I'm pleased with this, this is how I want it to read, you then give it to some beta readers, live beta readers, who you can trust to give you an honest opinion, some right. honest feedback. I remember I wrote a poem which, when I read, sounds completely convincing, but I gave it to people to read in printed form and they could not hear right. my intonation in mm. it. And so when I uh, sent it out next, I supplied a recording of it, and then it was fine. People got right. the phrasing. I mean, this book is, a lot of people have asked me to write my book and tell my story because I've been doing this 10 and a half years, but I've had, you know, kind of quite an interesting life. And it was uh, finally, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it, you know. And so it's, it's going out to the people that are very much my vibe tribe. And, you know, I know that if I give it to my brother, as you know a literary masters <laughs> he's going to want to change it into a different format but then it won't be representative of me and you know people who know me who know the flow of me and know you know the the journey of me they want to see that reflection and i think a lot of time when authors are doing something they're writing in their own light whether it be a memoir or whether it be a story they're writing from their own view and vision and it, you know, it, you can go to an editor that then just tears it to pieces and the voice is lost. And so you really have to pick an editor very well, don't you? One that actually kind of is in your, your vibe tribe uh, to actually understand what it is you're saying. Absolutely. And they have to know their craft. Right. There are different kinds of editors. I prefer to work with people on story structures. There is very structural uh, 
in my I'm very structural in my approach but I also work on copy editing line editing grammar punctuation that kind of thing I enjoy it I've got that kind of eye but it's very much a collaborative thing it's always mm -hmm. about asking the author what is it they want to try and say is this the best way of saying it yes what's their audience how will this come across mm -hmm. right and you know it I've, I've said in, you know, in other shows, yes, I'm writing my memoir, I am sharing a part of me, but if I'm going to try and make it a generic that it's going to please that amount of people, X, Y, Z amount of people, uh, I'm not writing for the audience, if you know what I mean. I'm writing, I'm sharing an essence of me, which is only a few people are going to pick up. And it's, if others don't pick it up, you know, they don't get it, that's okay. And I think sometimes authors get caught. I want millions of people to read this. Well, you know, you can do as much as your publication as you possibly can, promoting and everything else. But those that will read it are those that are in sync with it. And we can't, all we can do is put it in their way, but we can't demand anybody to read it or say there's going to be millions of people who are going to get it, unless you're J.K. Rowling <laughs> and a few well, others, right? J.K. Rowling started out with many many challenges yes and just stuck and many rejections she, yes and she believed in what she was doing right. and that is ultimately where the pen hits the paper yes you can when almost see when she was writing she was writing it as a movie i mean you when you read her books you completely you know saw the stage and i think i think that's actually sometimes where authors get lost is that i've lost the visual as i'm reading and I want to keep the visual. I want, you know, I want the, as I'm reading the book, I want the movie to be, you know, in sync. Uh, and I'm a detailed person. You know, what are they wearing? Where are they? This is what I'd like to know, mm -hmm. you know, because I paint the scene. And if you're losing, suddenly losing the, mem you know, it's gone blank, it's run out of real, you're losing the story. So it's uh, very important to kind of make sure that you're the, the stage setter as well as the storyteller. Yes, and uh, there are certain rules or tools that will help you create very vivid descriptions. It's one of the reasons that sometimes Dickens doesn't really work for me because he'll paint details, but he won't give me the full mm. picture. Uh, his characterization is brilliant, but in terms of descriptive writing, I generally often feel something is lacking the empty stage the black and white it's almost like well you can set the stage i'm giving you the characters yes right or Which, the, you know. the very um limited detail mm -hmm. but as you say blank space mm. you fill it out yeah and which of course many people have in their own interpretation in the movies and tv series and everything else that they've mm -hmm. done have created the stage which for the characters to come alive and you can watch all of them back to back and there'll be a different ter interpretation of it right because the but stage dickens, almost add to the uh, to the characters that's right and dickens was writing at a very uh, different time when mm -hmm. people would read his works out loud mm -hmm. so they would be staged they would be performed yeah. vocally and he would also perform his works mm -hmm. who's your favorite author who's your influencer Ooh, i have a great admiration for philip pullman Mm -hmm. Obviously, George Spencer Brown, to whom the book is dedicated, mm -hmm. is a great influence. I think uh, he's written one of the underestimated 
classics, great works of the 20th century in the English language. And Thomas Wharton, a Canadian author. Mm -hmm. Now, talk long. to me about, oh, sorry, no, no, Philip Pullman. Um, uh, you love the Philip Pullman books. Yes, and his essays mm -hmm. as much as his fictional works. So which one of the Philip Pullman books do you really enjoy? Let me give you an unexpected answer, hopefully. It's a little essay he wrote or published as a talk which he gave to the National Association of Teachers of English called Perverse, All Manner of Wondrous Things or something. It's got the word perverse in the mm -hmm. title. And he absolutely captures the essence of what language is as a living thing. Mm -hmm. And he focuses on uncertainties, mysteries, doubts as the yeah. inspiration for writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A glorious piece of demonstrating what the writer can do in writing by a consummate writer. And and you, um, gosh, what do they call it? Northern Lights. Um, Love it. In fact, I quote from Northern Lights in Story and Structure. That scene. One of my favourite books. Yeah, which scene? Which scene? <laughs> the scene where favorite. Lyra and Father Coram mm -hmm. are together and she's reading the Alethiometer in his presence for the mm. first time and he doesn't understand how she's doing it but he's a chess player and he mm. knows how chess players map these invisible lines of strategy through the board and see the chess play and the gameplay panning out and she's doing the same with the Alethiometer. The mm. Alethiometer is a truth-telling device Yes. And I liken the way of working with dynamic story structures to this process of it's an intuitive deep dive into a relational position with story. You have to feel your way into the truth of the story. Yes. Oh, well, I tell you what it did for me. I'm a very spiritual person. And I'm always talking about soul awakening. That's the soul wisdom comes through your heart uh, in ignition of truth. It lifts up your spirit into action and your mind will know what it needs to know when it needs to know it. And when I first read those books and it was the, I looked at it as the soul as the companion and the companion changes until we reach the puberty. And then that soul becomes you know, that's uh, that particular representation of their soul. And for me, it was such envy. God, I wish I had my soul on the outside. That was one actually physically talking to me and being my companion. But I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the movies, but I think the Dark Materials has done a very good job, uh, much better than the film. But the, the books themselves, the characters, um, I still talk about them today. I think I read them 22 years ago. And uh, it's just... Um, it's, you know, through the dimensions. My brother is very much a dimensional writer too. He'll write through different worlds, etc. But I love that. You know, anything that takes us out of this world in a sense and, and has us look at life from a, a different dimensional point of view, different layers and, uh, you know, understanding, you know, where our blockages are, which is the repression of uh, the ministry but i just love the characters i love how they came alive i loved everything about it and it really for me was um, a, a really kind of a soul opener for me most certainly
I love uh, I love the way he writes. What about the Lord of the Rings? Um, do you like uh, do you like the interpretation that has happened there with the movies, or were, did you read the books at all? Well, which movie are you talking about? I think there have been. I know. Four, gosh, yes. Five, <laughs> yeah, I, know. I remember back in the day uh, when the uh, cartoon version first came out. Oh, right. Yes. Version. Yes. Oh, that was what thirty something years ago. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, and I again another one of those books where I read The Hobbit first, and again that was another world. You know, I love mystical worlds. I you know I love you know a different layer type worlds, but it was another one that really got me intrigued. And uh, you know, with The Lord of the Rings, a little hard to read. Um, you know, better to see the interpretation because again, there's so many layers that you can sometimes get a little. Um, too layered up to kind of know where you're going, if you know what I mean. But again, I love the interpretation of what they have done with the books. Um, but Philip Pullman, most certainly for me, with um, here they call it the Golden Compass. Over in England, it's mm -hmm. Northern Lights, isn't it? Yes. And I, I really love what they've done with the series. It's beautiful. And there's always those authors, isn't it, that um, they're like a good friend that you know you can always rely on. You can pick up any one of their books and you know it's like going out for dinner with a good friend and having a great conversation and being mm -hmm. taken on an adventure. Yes. I don't have much to add to that. <laughs> so those... that's why my study is lined with books. Yes, yes. I, if you saw what I've got around me here too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think also, you know, one I'm, I'm a reader that when I read, it's, it's not a chapter a night before going to sleep. It's leave me alone. And I just want to curl up somewhere and just read. You know, uh, if I can't read it in one day, read it in a couple of days because I get so immersed in it. And, and if I did a half hour before going to sleep, I wouldn't be able to sleep because I'd be going over and over and over the chapter and what's happened since then. What kind of reader are you? I typically go through phases. I went through a very long phase of reading young adult literature. I absolutely loved it. I did not want to read yeah. anything else. And then something happened and I'm currently in my nonfiction phase. Mm -hmm. Anything to do with philosophy mm -hmm. or difficult questions. That's where I'm at at the moment. That's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's his writing. Um, what I always love about his books, as I said, it's um, it's always different layers. And he decided to to go into the youth genre because it allowed him to explore even more and go into those different levels and different dimensions. And it is always, you know, the page turner. He always has a dog in it, and it's always the problem of keeping the dog alive. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, God, I don't know how to get this dog out of this situation. <laughs> and it's uh, this genuine love story. But, you know, one of the ones he wrote that was quite intriguing, which is um, The Repercussions of Thomas D. And it's a young guy in his high teens talking to his girlfriend on the phone. And he walks through a kind of a black hole and ends up in 1944 and uh, ends up spewing everything that happens in the future to the wrong person, which changes the course of the war. 
and the repercussions of it today. And see, what I always find, but that's what I love about an author. Yes, you can give me something that's kind of maybe far out like that, but I, it leaves you the thought, well, yeah, what if it had been different? You know, where would we be having the, the freedom that we have today to moan and groan about how miserable life is? Or would we actually be living in the misery? <laughs> you know? um, so I love books that kind of, it's the after dinner mint, right? That keeps on going. Yes. And there you are. You've had an inciting incident that sets up mm -hmm. this need to find a resolution to a problem. And this is what story does. Yes. It's an innate embodied thing we do to make sense of life, to make sense of how we come to terms with our surroundings. And what's nice about losing yourself in story, particularly if it's a fantasy story or a traditional folk tale, maybe a wonder tale, is that you get characters like fairy godmothers mm -hmm. or angels or demons, and you have to uh, open your eyes in wonder and accept them and delight in their presence. Mm -hmm. But do you and I have fairy godmothers? No. <laughs> I wish I we do. did. I wish they had a magic. Yeah, you do kind of when you look at your best friends, they could be your fairy godmother or your angel, right? But the thing about story and structure, I went on a voyage of discovery when I went this, I didn't know where it was going to take me. And where it took me is further and further away from content mm. and closer and closer to what was happening underneath. Right. What are the rhythms of the things? So the further away you get from saying, oh, fairy godmother, no, I don't have that. You think, what is the fairy godmother all about? Mm. And actually, you do have mm -hmm. fairy godmothers. You do have guardian angels. You do have... And some people see them as angels. Blake saw angels all over the place. He saw the soul of his brother mm -hmm. after his brother died. He was a visionary. I'm not, but I can relate to these metaphysical forces and energies in myself. And I identify them with things like the intellect, intuition, mm -hmm. instinct. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying earlier on about your knowledge that is deep inside you, yourself, which can come out and inspire you if you get out of the way. Most certainly, yeah. yeah. All about this. And then you need to filter it through reason. You need to take a critical um, eye to it. You need to describe it in detail. That's where the, the hard work comes in. But the germ, the source, the essence is in that magical realm where things like fairy godmothers and gods, goddesses arise and they are within us. Always, always. Um, as this, I'm a very spiritual person. I was one of these people that played with dead people. Why doesn't anybody else see them? How come it's only me? I'm a channeler. That's why I call it the wisdom channeling, uh, uh, going into the knowledge. Uh, if we're only going from knowledge, we're on a limited human knowledge. When we allow the divine wisdom, whatever that divine wisdom looks like to you, whether it's source, energy, God, spirit, whatever it is, uh, when we allow that wisdom to be our clarity, we see the knowledge that we need 
in that moment of time. And we understand what to do with that knowledge in that time. It doesn't always work the other way around. If we only step into knowledge, this step, then this step, then this step, we're limiting ourselves. When we combine it with that wisdom, the wonderment wisdom, the allow wisdom, the coming through you wisdom for, for you know, to know what to do with that next step and how to expand it into something that is wondrous, that is beautiful, that also leaves people with the question, is this real? Can it be real? And when, you, when people come out of it and go, I feel it is real, then you know that you've actually told a story where you've taken people out of their limitations as a human being and shown them the human essence of being a part of something bigger. I think that's beautiful, Sarah, and that speaks to a key component of what I've found about how story works. It's nothing new. Mm -hmm. We can expand and contract stories. Mm -hmm. I can tell you the story of the three little pigs in three sentences. Three little pigs go out, seek their fortunes. They build houses, some of which are destroyed by a wolf, and they end up living together in harmony, living their lives, their best lives, as pigs together, having defeated the wolf. Mm -hmm. okay? Or I could spin it out for yes. 10, 15, 20 minutes and give the huffing and the puffing, yeah. which all make the story work. But this idea of expansion and contraction, there is a nugget there. Mm -hmm. And story and structure is about being able to boil down a story, reduce it to the bare bones. What are the essential parts? The ingredients. Of the story, mm -hmm. And what do they look like mm -hmm. for each character's storyline? Mm -hmm. Once you've got that, you realize that characters who are divine, metaphysical, have their own particular type of storyline. Mm -hmm. They're the most compressed. Yes. They see something and they go bang and things change. Yeah. They don't say, when um, Athena, I think it is, looks down and sees a woman who's being chased by a god and the woman is calling up for help, Athena doesn't look down and say, hmm, now what should I change her into today? Raven, tree, <laughs> river. No, rivers are Tuesdays. Today's a Wednesday. I think, now what kind of creature should she be? It, it just doesn't happen no. like that. No. That's what happens on the level of the human mm -hmm. deliberation. Yes. For the divine realm, it's mm -hmm. bomb, bang. Yeah. And that's the transformation structure. Yes. It's been out of our own way. But what, what I've discovered, which is new, is that the transformation structure is related to the quest structure, which is how we solve problems. Mm -hmm. It's just an expansion from it. And when you expand that initial backward step, that <gasps> transgression against natural order, stay with that energy. There's a problem. There's a journey towards finding a resolution, then there's a meeting, and there's that tension again. A single backward step can expand into a backwards, forwards, backwards. Mm -hmm. Cha cha cha. Yeah. 
And that's the rhythm, that's the dance of story, and I'm mapping it out. And what I've noticed is that that initial negative mood, that initial negative move, that step, when you expand it, contains within it the seed of the positive, because that meeting we ended up with is going to be the meeting with the friend or helper. Yes. Who helps you solve that problem, but you don't know that yet. You're still mm -hmm. stuck in that energy. Yeah. But it's still there. Yeah. And then in the transformation structure, that very compressed thing where you've just got two moves, the god or goddess goes bang, and there's a transformation. Things mm -hmm. are changed. The energy is rebalanced. Things go back to being able to flow, but they're never going to be the same as they were. No. In the quest structure, which is the expanded form, you do get that meeting with the friend or helper, but that brings forth the meeting with the enemy or hindrance, the wolf, in the story of the three little pigs, that needs to be defeated. Mm -hmm. So that positive thing has within it the seed of the negative and the potential to defeat it. Right. Learning about this level of story and how the energy is related, how the metaphysical connects to the physical, in this embodied way we have of making sense of the world, can affect our life stories positively, because then we can understand how to make sense of these insights, how to make sense of this intuitive knowledge we have, and expand it into the world we live in, the, the everyday yes. nine to five, seven days a week, five, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I mean, that's why reading is so important, isn't it? Because again, the companion, be um, a skill or a tool that you can learn from it. Um, it can be an answer to a problem that is initially in your life. I think we pick up a book intuitively because that's the book you need to read right now. And if you read it and allow it to immerse into, to penetrate into you, then you'll actually find it has a solution in there to actually a problem in your own life. And that's the beauty of a book, and especially of a book that you allow yourself just to pick up. If I go to a bookstore, I wander around and there's a book that will come out and jump out at me. You need to read me. And, I, and invariably, I always find something in there when I close that book or a certain chapter, ah, I understand. I understand. This character is doing this. But what it's allowing me to do is find a solution to that or see my problem from a different point of view. Is the wolf really the enemy? Can't you negotiate with the wolf? Hey, look, this Absolutely. is our territory. Leave us alone, right? We won't come to your territory. You leave us alone. We're not your dinner, right? One doesn't know until you try. Or is the wolf hellbent, right? So I think it's the reflection on our own lives is where the gift of reading is, is that would I do the same thing? Can I bring something of that character into my own life? That strength of that character, that resilience of that character, that wisdom of that character? Can it open up something inside of me for me to find that in myself? And I think, again, it's that extension, that friendship, that companion, that tutor that, that reading can do for you. And it's not just about reading. Mm -hmm. The written word is only a very weak symbol of the spoken word. And yes. we, 
were telling stories loads longer than they started being written down. Right. Around the campfires, yes. <laughs> the best stories I've come across have been where I've experienced them from oral storytellers. Yes. Particular, particularly storytellers who live and work in either traditional societies or are tradition bearers themselves. Mm -hmm. So don't yeah. just read stories, Sarah. Yes. Go right. and listen no, to them. You, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but... Whether the story is a book or whether it's an audio, whether it's TV or whether it's movie, it is what is that story doing for you? Because it's there to do something for you. And when we can put it away or switch it off and go, ah, I see differently, I feel differently, uh, or that was really delicious. You know, it's how does it affect you? If you've forgotten it immediately, then it obviously didn't resonate very much. Mm -hmm. But if you start talking about it because it did do something, then you know it most certainly. You absorbed it and in some way became it in some level. But yes, storytelling comes in all forms. And I think a good story, like a, a good TV drama or um, the audio, this is the thing. If you're going to have your book made into an audio, make sure you've got somebody who's got that storytelling voice. Right? Yes, and it's not just the art of words that can move us. There's beauty in music, in yes. painting, in sculpture, yes. in nature. Story speaks through it all. Yes. Um, I have another music genre where I interview musicians. And, you know, what I love uh, about musicians in many ways is they're not in discovery of who they are. They are the music you know, they're just in discovering how to survive <laughs> by playing the music. But their connection to their music is the, the instrument and them, whether it be their voice or an instrument, they are one. And with every chord or with every trumpet or with every voice that they sing, they're singing their truth, their connection. And then we then relate to it in so many ways. And as you said, with the art, I have here... A painting I love over here, it's flowers of so many different colors. And the beauty of I love about it is the fluidity and the movement of those flowers. If I ever need to be kind of just boosted up, I just absorb the colors and absorb the, the movement of it. And it can pick me up. But that is, again, the picture's giving me a story, isn't it? And it's igniting one inside of me. Harmony. Harmony. It's relinking you to a sense of harmony of truth of goodness and connecting you in some way to something bigger the oneness of being yes which is what story does what every true work of art does and the compliment to it as well yeah. yeah i think what the compliment is is whether it book tv show whatever the, the medium is is that if you are talking about it if you really did feel it if it did have an impact on your life in any way then that was a story well told. And it allows our own story to come out, our own re reflection, reflection of who we are, because you absorb that story. And as I said, it, you can become a part of that, that extension of that. And uh, I find if we just live what I call the humanoid state of being, which is just intellect, just head knowledge and the restriction 
of being a human being, we have eliminated, us, eliminated ourselves and limited ourselves completely from the immersement of living. But when we embrace our essence of our soul, our spirit, um, our multidimensional selves, and we're willing to explore and expand and allow things that don't make sense to the human mind, but they make sense to the spirit, that clarity will be revealed and it just allows us to spread our wings mm -hmm. so much more and em embrace so much more and not live on this narrow limitation. So if anyone is listening to this and thinks, well, I'm a writer and I want to get into the way of interacting and engaging with story in that way, then maybe story and structure is for you because yeah. it does deal with this ebb and flow, this energy of story, which you can feel into mm -hmm. without needing words, without needing archetypes, without needing images, they will come. Yes. Because every story structure I've found has a purpose. Mm -hmm. It is linked to a particular kind of problem. Mm -hmm. And it reveals the most efficient way of solving yes. that particular kind of problem. And if we engage in that, if we start to feel our way through those patterns, then what I've found by working with them is they become instinctive and yes. I can find those ways past tension, emotional hangups. And instead of wanting to fight a wolf because I see a wolf and know the wolf is going to get me, whatever I, whatever it is, <laughs> I can say, well, like you did, is there another way? What is the wolf really wanting? Yes. Maybe we can find a way to keep the wolf yeah. Fed on a healthy diet that doesn't mean we get killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I it's mean, just, you know, there are ways around it, but yeah. we've got to another thing in the book. We've got to beware of our own inner trickster. We can be lulled into a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. Got to be mm -hmm. on the lookout for that. We're not always right. In fact, the human race is the best example in the animal kingdom of getting it wrong yeah yes yeah and it is that ability to balance reason and emotion spirit and matter keep that harmony keep that balance keep that truth keep that goodness not just feeling what is good for us but mm -hmm. what is good universally, not just globally or on yes, no, no, the level beyond of this world. Oh, yes. Universally. Yeah. And if you're sensitive to that, then things will flow. You, you understand, A, why you're here. You're, you're in discovery. What is your instrument? What is your instrument in life? Everybody's been given a divine gift. What is your instrument? How do you play it? How do you play it harmoniously? And which orchestra do you join? Where as each individual, you could come together harmoniously to create a symphony that will resonate out in invitation to everyone else. But we're, we are in discovery of our own instrument. And it, that instrument shouldn't be by the restriction of the human dictation, but, but should be driven by the very soul and spirit essence of who we are and what we're here to do. 
And that I would identify with story, story lives, life stories. <laughs> so what are your life stories? What is our collective life story? Mm, and we all have one. We all have a story inside of us, a story that needs to be expanded. And we're all telling our story one way or the other. Um, we're in our interaction daily. We're telling our story. We're sharing our story, which then comes down to a reflection. Is this the story you really want to represent you? There's always change, right? We can always change the plot. <laughs> yes, and we can reveal things. We can hide things. We can be open about things. Ultimately, it is. Mm -hmm. Life is. And we In are. All its glory. We <laughs> yes. are. And we are story. Yes. It's being present. I think if we are in the present, what we need to know, when we need to know it, is in the present. And when we are in that present, we're truly connected. And we're, we're very engaged with what we need to be doing in that moment. And that's where if you step out of the human intellect and allow the divine intellect to come through, what you need to know and what you need to be doing right now can be revealed and revealed with ease and with clarity and with fluidity. If we can get out of ego, if we can get out of lack of self-worth or doubt, and if we can let, get out of greed or self-importance. And that sounds wonderful, wonderfully easy, and you do it so well. But as uh, Mikhail Chekstamikhailsky, if I've got his name right, says he's the expert on flow, it takes time to yes. develop that yes. skill, that craft, that ability to Willingness. flow. Mm. And once you do, you are able to manifest yourself. The Greeks called it kairos, seizing the moment, not mm -hmm. chronos which is the divided, atomized view of time. But Kairos is being in the moment where mm -hmm. past, present and future merge. And Kairos was depicted as a young god, very fast, with a forelock and a bald back of his head. Because if you didn't manage to catch him at the front, you, you, won't be, you wouldn't be able to hang on to anything. He'd right. be gone. Yes. And he's captured with a wheel because he's permanently turning, permanently there, but the center of the wheel is in the here and now, the eternal now. Yes, we only have this moment. That's and, you know, this, and this moment will dictate your next moment. So if you live in, in clarity, uh, in, in willingness of this moment, again, allowing, allowing, uh, that this moment will seed those beautiful possibilities, but you must water and nurture for the next moment. But if we're living in the past and we're living in the future, we're not in our story. We're reviewing a story from the past and, we, and we're projecting a future story that cannot come to pass because you're not present in the now. And it's very difficult to be present and also evaluate. How can you live the story, experience it and also write it? How can you live the story and experience it and also tell it? That's what a great oral storyteller will do in yes. the moment. And that's why I think oral storytelling is so powerful. 
because the story is unfolding within the storyteller mm. and the story seeker and it's happening in the same space between as you said your mother experienced telling the story yes performing the role a different way every night slightly different it wouldn't be dramatically different no. but it would be different noticeably different mm -hmm. according to what the moment was dictating what the moment right. needed. What, what the energies were, what the signature was out there, right? And this and is why it's you, important. About if that. you are a reader, sorry to interrupt. It's okay. If you, if you are a reader, then the onus is on you yes. to make more of that advance. The, right. the writer will have done their job, hopefully, but it's not as dynamic. Mm -hmm. You have to engage with their imagination, yes. their power of writing. Become, you're in the exactly. story, yeah. yeah. And it's the great writers that manage to transcend that boundary of the written word to have that um, inspiration come alive again in you, in the unfolding of the story that makes great works great. I have my own show uh, genre every week, Sarah's View of Life, and Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to talk about, or maybe one word will be there, and I'll press record. And for the next either 10 minutes, 17 minutes, up to half an hour, and what comes out is what comes out. And I was going to audio my book, and I kind of started, and then one day I thought, okay, I'll just see what I write. And then just wrote, again, just, just let what was inside of me just come out. And read it later and find out what I said right because that's who I am that's the way I need to be the more I think about it the more I'm going to trip myself up I can have the certain structure if I want to address this this and this but how I'm going to address it where and when I'm going to address it I allow that to unfold as it wants to come out so Sarah what got you to the point that you could just sit down and have the words flow through your fingers uh one i shut down my podcast for months so i could concentrate on it and um, i think for for me is, is should i do it this way should i do it that way there was a lot of other people you should do this you should do this you should do that and then it got to a point as well this is my story i need to tell it in the way i will i'm not a chapter person i'm an article person um short stories some that that um can reflect more information later on uh, some that are complete in themselves and it was like just let it be just let it be step out of all the chatter and you mm -hmm. should you must you do this you do that and just let it get down there and then it can be edited and reconstructed afterwards but this is your truth let your soul speak and just let it come out so what is it about articles that zing with you i don't know i suppose that um I think it might be my energy flow. I'm, a, I'm a rather like a phoenix, you know, you know, up and then into the flames and then the ashes. So it is that um, short period of time of, of what I say or what I write. And then it's you know, where the issue is, how I got to understanding and then what I did to resolve. And it's just, that's just, mm -hmm. I think, what's chosen me. Um, my storytelling has always been like that. You know, I was a dormitory monitor at boarding school and the kids wouldn't go to sleep unless I told them a story. 
but then I would have to go downstairs and write 200 lines. I will not speak after lights. So I'd write it in the daytime so I could go down and just finish off a few lines so I can go back to bed. <laughs> but the kids would not go to sleep without me telling them a story. So, and I used to do it with my own kids is I would take something that they've done in the day and then do a story about a hero that faced whatever they faced in the day, which was quite essentially about them but you know about a character and it's just it's always been the way I've been my brother as I said can write those chapters he can take all of those chapters into a beautiful crescendo of his books I love his writing I love where he takes me all the beautiful worlds and everything he takes me into but I'm just that short phoenix <laughs> and yet you uh, your inspiration your medium the fire that uh, the phoenix uh, thrives on and then uh, gets immolated into is for you language and words mm -hmm. where does that where does that link come from for you my mother and my brother have always been word people and, and my, my lineage and my uh, father on my mother's side going back to 500 um is or we're all literary or academic or lawyers or uh, judges but always words so my word telling is through this medium and through articles my brother through books and my mother through an actress and you know words have always been something to dance to whether it's been written or whether it's been spoken or whether it's been acted and it is it's our musical instrument and that there you go it says mm -hmm. it all i mean you can have politicians that are extremely eloquent in their storytelling that's how they get so many people on board right and then you have some politicians that can't put two sentences together <laughs> and you go you're definitely not a wordmeister but it this is why some people can gain power with through the words the way they tell the story and the way they engage people and i think it's uh, whether you use it for good or for bad that is your conscience right hopefully for good. Um, but again, I think it also comes into the allow. My storytelling is always, it's always not from my head, but from my heart and soul. And it's up to us, mm -hmm. whenever we listen to a story being told, to be on our guard. Mm -hmm. Because storytellers can be tricksters. Yes. Oh boy, can they. Yes. Read between the lines sometimes, folks. <laughs> Are they being the Pied Piper? <laughs> right. um, do you remember the book Inkheart? Yes. Which, I, you know, I love that, that whole story that as they tell the story, the characters come out of the book, but then somebody else has to go back in. And again, it's that wonderful word of imagination of it not just being flat words of pages on a book. You know, it is, again, the dimensional story that is there. I love things that take me into other worlds because I'm a, I'm a world other dimensional traveler anyway. And it's just, I love that, how we can uh, open up a different portholes and there is a, mm -hmm. a parallel world going on, which we see with Philip Pullman, which um, should be more in the next series, in the next series that comes out with Dark Materials. Um, because I think to live just as a, um, I call them a humanoid, sorry, a human being that is just limited to, the linear of life with no exploration and no wonderment and no sense of adventure or expression is very robotic. And I think if we can, as human beings, let, let our wonder, let our wonder open up, wonder what else is out there, 
wonder what the next adventure is, be the seeker, which is innate within us, then we would, we would be the story that we are, which then others are inspired by. And that sense of wonder is one of the drivers of story. Yes. And it ends up by inviting you to uh, explore and follow what um, I describe in the book, Story and Structure, as the creation myth structure. Mm-hmm. The beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1, God creates the world and he creates one thing after another and another and another and it just unfolds he doesn't create because there is a problem he doesn't create because there's a sense of lack it's god said let there be light and there was light and he saw light and it was good and that process just unfolds just as i think we are called to unfold whatever it is we're undoing but it takes time to get to that point yes and the art of what is our story and how do we tell it because there still has to be some structure you can build the most beautiful building if the foundation isn't strong if the structure in which it was built on isn't strong it's going to crumble at the first half and puff right so structure uh, and rooting and grounding needs to be in there so that it can branch out and reach for the skies and be beautiful as well, not yes. as functional. Right. Oh, God, yes. Yes, we see plenty of the, you know, just functional and it's little boxes and they're so uninviting and they're almost repelling. But when we see a piece of art, which was somebody's story, the carvings, the, the, the sculpture of the building, even the different type of windows, all of that, it's somebody's interpretation, it's somebody's story, somebody's reflection. And that gives us a sense of intrigue. I think if you lose the intrigue, then uh, you lose the wonderment of life and you've lost the reason for living. Mm -hmm. And story is another facet of that pattern-making instinct. Mm -hmm. A pattern of intrigue, of form, of um, emotion, reason, space, time working with those things whether you go up whether you go out whether you go down whether you go forward it shapes you it shapes us it shapes me it shapes the buildings we choose to um, put up live in work in engage in it's mm. an invitation to be creative imaginative i have a friend at the moment who's uh, working and staying at a wonderful place in the States called Elan Lael, uh, James Hubble, the architect, mm-hmm. who builds houses that look like hobbit houses. Oh, yes, yes, are yes. filled with rainbows. And yes. you can go in there and wake up bathed in light, go out into a swimming pool and swim through a rainbow. It is mm. absolutely magical. Yes, and we need magic, don't we? We do. You know? Real magic. Oh, gosh. And then we're capable hand. of making that real magic. We really are. Those moments, those <sighs> moments, you know, those moments that just have your breath, your eyes open in wonderment, everything that becomes still in that moment, in that wonderment, is really what 
earth is all about and its beauty. And it's always a question, how do we structure that beauty into something that is functional for us, that gives us that beauty continuously? And people have had this conversation. They have thought about this. It's all about sustainability. Mm -hmm. It's all about management of stewardship. Uh, returning what we use mm -hmm. in a better state than we received it. Not yes. a worse one. Living in gratitude too. Much better attitude, right? Yes. <laughs> it says inspiration begets invitation. And when you're inspired by something, it invites you to want to be engaged in your own life or with other people, or with the wonderment of life and what is possible. Um, there was a wonderful program. I think it was on Netflix, um, architectural buildings around the world. Um, and, and some of them were just like, oh, my God, how did they think that up? And just so exquisite, again, capturing the light or capturing this or capturing that. And uh, some of the places, oh, I couldn't live there. Some of the places, when can I move in? You know, because it just made you feel so at home. And really, kind of all, honestly, that's really where we want to feel, isn't it? We want to, whatever we do, whatever our story is or whatever story we hear, we want to feel at home. We want to feel comfortable and comfortable enough to feel we can branch out, we can explore whether you are at home home or whether your home is within yourself and that you're comfortable in taking those next steps forward. Mm -hmm. Yes, but what do you mean by self, Sarah? Your own light being able to project. Interesting. I, it is a resonant question because one of the books I'm reading at the moment and uh, in response to the death of Queen Elizabeth II, I've gone back to a book by L.L. Blake, uh, The Young Person's Guide to the Constitution. And he riffs around a passage from the Upanishads, the Katha Upanishad, where the collective wisdom of the Upanishads uh, describes the self as riding in the chariot of the body. The chariot is being guided by the intellect. The intellect is holding the reins. The reins connect the intellect to the horses. The horses are the senses. And the senses drive the chariot down whichever road mm -hmm. they end up going down. Whether that is the horse's choice or whether it is the charioteer's choice, or depending synergy. on which choice it is, mm -hmm. it will be a different road. Right. But the best road, is what the, the Upanishad argues, is the road which allows the self to direct the intellect mm -hmm. and in, advise the intellect where to go. My interpretation of the soul Exactly. heart spirit to the to the mind yes the soul what, wisdom what ll blake does is to liken this to the analogy of the queen's or the monarch's mm -hmm. symbolic role mm -hmm. in maintaining this unity and harmony uh, of this Fantastic. very very valuable constitutional monarchy that has evolved in this unwritten constitution over centuries 
that is something we do not often reflect on and appreciate in the way it should be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little bit on, on the Queen when she died on one of my shows. Um, I actually listened to that one. Oh, you did too. But, you know, it is about what has she given us? You know, it, it is what is it in our lives that we can give of our essence, be committed to, be dedicated to, because we believe in it. You know, her duty was imposed upon her. She had no choice, but she took it on gracefully. I mean, she would have far rather been breeding horses or racing horses. I mean, that was her love, being free on a horse. Um, but she put country and duty even ahead of her own family. And because the, the Commonwealth was her family and she was the mother of that family and she did it with a great deal of grace and in her later years, a great deal of humor. And you know, it's a reflection on all of us to look at, well, what do we stand for? What are we dedicated to? You know, again, back, finding your instrument, how to play it. Well, whom are you playing it for? Does it benefit them? Does it benefit the collective? Because we're all contributors. Every single one of us is contributors on this planet. But what are we contributing? Does it benefit everyone? Or is it only the beneficial of ourselves? And I think that um, I think the reason why a lot of people are grieving so much, whether you like the royal family or not, is that who else is one of the greatest examples of dedication, of commitment, um, without losing herself, of a representation of something that is deep and meaningful. And quite honestly, all around the world, whether it was the Commonwealth or not, uh, an example to us, a true example to us. And that took time to develop. Seven years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a story he tells about the young Princess Elizabeth going to a concert with her grandmother, Queen Mary, and she was fidgeting in her seat and Queen Mary uh, turned to her and said, do you want to go home, child? And she said, oh no, I couldn't go home, Grandmama. There are people waiting for me outside when the concert ends. And Queen Mary turned to the lady-in-waiting and said, please take the young princess back to the palace. She must not learn that people are there for her mm-hmm. enjoyment. She is there to serve the people. Take her through the back door so that she may not be seen. It was a lesson. It was a lesson. Which is, I think, one thing we could actually say about the Queen. You didn't see ego. You saw honour and pride, but you didn't see ego. You know, it was very much about the duty and... Um, there are a few people in the world that you look up to and you know that their contribution to the world has been at a sacrifice, but their belief in what they're doing and why they're doing it and what they stand for is far greater than them as an individual. And that may be where we end up because we all have that still small voice inside us. I refer to it as the voice of the unknown storyteller, who I think very often just is there in the distance, 
chuckling away at what we do. Waiting and to have its voice. <laughs> is delighted because we've realized what that unknown storyteller, he or she, we're never going to be able to know them. Mm -hmm. What they want to have realized about themselves. Mm -hmm. Again, that's um, it's opening your door to set yourself free, isn't it? It's not, you know, you talk about patterns. The architect creates a pattern. How we build that house from that pattern, you know, sometimes they can interject or it's another interpretation. But I think one of the things that we need to let go of is programming. And which program are you running on? Because many, offer, many, many a time that programming is killing the essence of who you are, not even allowing yourself to shine through because you're living on an old programming. And But we can always reprogram and we can always delete programs that comes into recognizing what that program is, the willingness to go through the process of deleting it and inserting a new program that serves you and what you're meant to do here better. Or simplifying. George Spencer Brown was all about simplification and getting rid of unnecessary baggage, mm -hmm. reducing it to the bare bones, the essential stuff. Yes. Like love. Yes. <laughs> so important. Be the love you seek. Be the peace you seek. You're, you know, you're not, it's not on the outside, it's on the inside. When you change your perspective, you change the way you look at life and you look at life and all its beauty and glory and opportunities and possibilities and you immerse yourself lovingly into that, you become the love you seek. And from a tree's perspective, going back to the way Tolkien describes trees and the Ents, that's one of my favourite parts of Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. They take things slow, they yes. just come and go, and the names change, but there is this essence, essence which is worth connecting to and loving, and they just get on with life. Mm -hmm. Did you see the Judy Dench's documentary on trees? I didn't. Highly recommend it. If there's where you can see it, I'm not quite sure where it is now, but it's wonderful. And it's talking about the matrix, the fiber optics between the trees mm -hmm. and how everything is connected. And even when one falls, how it becomes a life substance for other creatures. And a, a forest doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not an elk. You can't be here. Yes. You know, it is, it is that unity of looking out for each other through all storms and beauty of life. And this is why many times people fear the forest. I have an entire program that takes people through the forest, um, metaphoric forest, to find out who they are, where they are right now. And a lot of people are afraid of the forest because in a lot of ways it represents life. And if they're scared, they won't find their path or they'll get lost in it or they'll be suppressed in it. Instead of looking at the trees as the wisdom that they are and how through the, the beautiful breeze and the rustle of the leaves that they speak to you and, and give you that path before you if you're willing to listen it's a good yes. documentary recommend that thank you i'll <laughs> look it out we are going to have to call this quits now unfortunately i didn't want to because i love to carry on talking to you but please tell people how they can get hold of your book and what is your site and any other mediums that you want to share 
So story and structure, this is the hardback edition. You can see the paperback edition behind me. Where are my fingers there? It is available on my website, leonconrad.com forward slash writer. It is available on standard sites. If you're a fan of Amazon, go to amazon.co.uk, amazon.com. It's available via bookshop, via, um, just look for it online. Right. And you'll find me on Substack. You can subscribe to my newsletter there and keep in touch. Right. And of course, you're on Twitter, you're on Medium, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on YouTube. And all people have to do here is go to selfdiscoverymedia.com and then search, put in your name, Leon Conrad. That's L-E-O-N-C-O-N-R-A-D. And his show page will come up with his book, with all of the links that you need in order to reach him. And, uh, you know, please look at your own story differently. How are you sharing it? How are you telling it? Uh, when it comes to writing it, when it comes to speaking it, when it comes to living it, what is your story? What impact is it having on other people? And what are other people's stories having an impact on you? But we're all storytellers in one way or the other, aren't we? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. Remember, folks, we want to know your story, whatever it is in whichever way you wish to tell it, whether it be through music, through words, through action, whatever way, because... The story is who you are and why you're here and what it is you're here to do. And we want to encourage that story and embrace it and celebrate it. So until next time, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Find all of our shows on selfdiscoverymedia.com under podcasts or selfdiscoverymedia slash shows. And for all our current shows, go to What's New. We are supported by you, the audience. You'll see a nice big shiny blue button for one-time donations or follow us on Patreon and you will be able to support us there. We enjoy bringing you such wisdom. And the next show will be up in just a moment.